Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. So, I'm a little intimidated because I went on your website and I went to last week's sermon and you guys had Sean Connery here. I mean, how do I beat a pastor with a Scottish brogue? Because the Bible is supposed to be spoken with a Scottish brogue. So it's a little intimidating, but I heard he gave a great message with a great accent. Um, But I can't do a Scottish brogue, but I can greet you in the language of my country of birth. Hello. (laughs) So I was born here in the United States, just like my family five generations ago in California. My mom and dad are here. Jimmy Sandwich, take a quick stand. And my wife Katie's here. Stand real quick and just wave, real quick. Um, And uh, Katie's parents recently passed away. They would both be here celebrating. Katie's mom was a Presbyterian elder. Uh, her dad, this is, her mom, this is her favorite place to be in Carmel. So it's, uh, we're thinking of them as, uh, as we are, join you in this joyous day today. So as I was alluding to, uh, kind of fifth generation Chinese American on my mom's side, kind of third on my dad's side, but really kind of fifth as well because his mom was born in Hawaii, but before it was a state. So still kind of counts. So I'm still saying... <laughs> The yees and the limbs, we go back to the 1800s. So how many of you ever ridden on a train in California? Raise your hand. You're welcome, okay? So (laughs) that's all I'm going to say. So so just to be clear, I I don't speak Chinese. Um, And even if you spoke to me in Mandarin, that's not our dialect, by the way. It isn't, so it's a different dialect anyways. But... God bless you for trying if you want to, but I don't speak Chinese. Um, and to be clear too, just to get this out of the way as well, my name is Tim Yi, not Timmy. <laughs> Tim space Yi, not Timmy. Um, true story, I, I led a large college ministry back at Bel Air Presbyterian, and um, we had a lot of college, hundreds of college students, and this young gal came to me one time, and I've seen her around. She was a new believer, had, had come to faith in our ministry, and Amber came, she's like, Tim, I just realized your last name is Yi. I thought it was Timmy this whole time. So it happened. So to erase that awkward moment, my name is Tim Yi, not Timmy. And um, my, uh, my wife, Katie, and our two kids, Avery, um, you'll notice when you meet them, they're half Chinese and half Anglo. And um, you may notice that Katie is not Chinese, just to clue you all in. Um, <laughs> Because when she goes to the grocery stores and they see her credit card, Katie Yee, they look up, and they look at the card, and they say, can we see your ID? And then her ID comes out, <laughs> Katie Yee. And then they say, you're not Chinese, as if she doesn't know this. <laughs> and uh, some people think they discovered the first like, light-skinned Chinese or something, but no, she's, she, is, she married a Chinese person. So. Um, but I feel for her, she, her maiden name is Scott. Kitty Scott's was super simple. She loved her name. She's, 
last name Yi kind of doesn't work great with Katie and a little frustrating for her at times, which I understand. And it's really hard to order pizza with the last name Yi. I'm serious. This is what my whole life was, right, Dad, growing up in Santa Barbara. Hi, I'd like a pepperoni pizza. Yes, extra cheese. Name Tim Yi. How do, how do I spell that? Y E E. No, it's, no, it's not we. It's, it's ye. It's Y is in yellow. E is in Edward. E is in Edward. No, my name is not Edward. It's ye. Tim, Tim Ye. Tim Lee? No, it's Tim. Yeah, it's Lee. It's Lee. It's Lee. Yes, it's Lee. So I prompt, we order with last name Lee all the time still. It's, I don't know why it's so hard, but it is. So that's a little introduction of my life and I want to point out this text because uh, the names are important in this text. Uh, Jesus calls out to Simon, and to Simon, he tells Simon, the fisherman, how to be a better fisherman. He tells Simon what he really needs, and Simon doesn't even know what he really needs. And Simon fell down at at the feet of Jesus because Jesus demonstrated supernatural power to do the impossible. But Simon, the professional fisherman, needed an encounter with Jesus. I want to show you, I'm a professional fisherman too. You look at the screens, that's me. It's a four and a half pound striper bass. Impressive, okay? So I grew up in a family of fishermen and fisherwomen. And so I understand when Jesus says to Simon, the professional fisherman, I know how to do your job better than you, Simon. You might think of yourself as the pro, but I'm telling you, you've met someone who is smarter and loves you more than you can imagine, who knows you better than you know yourself. And Jesus said that to me as well. And as you look at this glorious picture of me, you imagine, man, Tim must have been fighting off the ladies in junior high. <laughs> look, at, look at that glorious haircut, holding a freshwater bass. And, and uh, yes, it was quite the experience growing up. But... To Simon, Jesus says, I know you and I love you. And Jesus did the same with me. And the thing I want to ask you today, if Jesus came to you and says, I'm the expert of your life, would you believe him? That Jesus looks at you and says, I know how to parent better than you. I know how to run your farm better than you. I, I absolutely know how to invest better than you. I know for sure how to make friendships better than you. I know how to I know how to build a business better than you. That Jesus is claiming expertise over your entire life, not just your Sunday life. Your entire life, he says, I own, because I made you, and I love you. And how good it is that you have a God that loves you that much that wants to make your life great. He says, I, I know how to be the master musician in your life. And so what it takes for Simon is that he has to realize he has a first assignment, And the first assignment is to know Jesus. That's assignment number one. You can't do any of this other stuff without knowing Jesus first. And so Jesus assigns Simon a task to complete, which is this. If you go back to the text, it's throw your nets over this side, dummy. Well, that's my version, right? But throw your nets over here, expert fisherman. I'm going to show you. I know to run your life better than you, that I can make your life more joyful than you can on your own. And he says that to Simon in this text. And Simon, the professional fisherman, can't even imagine this master can do better than him. And Jesus 
is showing Simon, I'm going to school you in your own profession. I mean, this is like Jesus dunking on LeBron. I mean, it, it is. Or it's, Matt, maybe you're a fantastic artist, and Jesus comes in and says, your art's great, but I'm just going to tell you, every good idea you've had, I gave you. And, and wait till you get to heaven and see what's in store for you there. Or maybe you're a master chef, and Jesus shows up and says, hey, your food's great, but I'm telling you, your stuff tastes like cardboard compared to what I can do. Align yourself with me, and I will show you the way to true life. And he says it to Simon, and he says it to you this morning. He says to you this morning, align yourself with me, and I'm going to show you the way to true and full life. What Jesus wants to do with Simon and every one of us is to show us that no matter what defines us, whether you define yourself by being a great athlete or a great artist or a great academic or whatever title you want to assign to yourself, that Jesus says, align yourself with me and you will truly find yourself. And I, Jesus, will love you forever. And you will know who you really are by losing your life. Take a look at verse 8 again, or walk with me. It says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, Lord, from a sinful man, O Lord. Simon changes his tune. He actually goes from master to Lord. I think it's actually a purposeful thing that Luke includes in the text. Simon sees I've been defining myself by what I can do instead of what can Christ could do in me. And you have that same opportunity to say, Lord, Master, I'm sorry for trying to live life on my own power and my own energy. You are Lord of my fishing. You're Lord of my investments. You're Lord of, of the way I read the Bible. You are Lord of my family, of my parenting. You're Lord of my retiring. Uh-oh. The Lord of your retirement. Yes. Jesus has us all on assignment. If you are still breathing today, God is not done with you. There is mission and assignments and fun to have in the kingdom of God. Beginning right here in Carmel. If you have breath this morning, you are on assignment. But the first assignment is to know Jesus as Lord. Not to find your identity what you do. Not to find your identity what you have not define your identity, what people say about you. Henry Nouwen warns us, don't find your identity in those three things. Find your identity in being known as a friend of the Lord. Your first assignment is to know Jesus as Lord. So Simon lets go of his fisherman title, calls Jesus Lord. You notice that in verse 8. And invites Jesus to be first in his life. And so that's the first assignment of that. And that happened to me, my story, quickly. I had grown up being a good church kid, grew up in Trinity Baptist Church in Santa Barbara, California, a good, nice fundamentalist Baptist church. I got some Baptist friends out there, right? Amen. Now I'm Presbyterian, and we welcome you Baptist still. So. And, but I felt overshadowed. I had two perfect older siblings, and you'll probably meet uh, one of them in the near future, but my brother was a star football player, 4.0 GPA. This is back before they had like 5.0 GPA, so perfect student. The star athlete, you know, all league, all tri-counties, this and that. My sister was the cheerleader and the homecoming queen and a 4.0 student. And then I show up in high school and everyone says, what do you do? I'm like, I catch fish and have a bowl cut. I mean, that's what I do. So. That's, that's me. And so 
Not to the fault of my wonderful family. My brother and sister gave me no pressure, but I put the pressure on myself of, I got to become someone. Like, my brother and sister are killing it in this high school thing. Like, I got to nail this thing. And so I decided I'm going to try to be somebody. And so I said, well, not big enough like my brother to be a football player. I'm I'm not pretty enough to be homecoming queen, so I got to figure out a plan C. So plan C was our school happened to have this wrestling team. They had a thing called weight classes, so I could join the wrestling team and try to be decent, you know? And and so I joined. I had no idea what I was doing, and I ended up being pretty good at it, and we had a good team, and we won lots of championships and stuff. And then I started feeling good about myself because I'm becoming somebody, right? And then I found in high school, and I found this out, Whether you're 16 or 26 or 56 or 86, no matter how much you accomplish, it's never enough. It never is enough. It never is, no matter what it is. And I found that out as I achieved this. I just said, well, if if I just win this, this medal, then I'll finally be happy. And I win, and then I'm like, I got more miserable. It was weird. I was happy for a week and then got sad. And then, well, if, I, if this girl will like me back, then I'll be happy. And then that girl liked me back and I realized happy for a week and then I wasn't. And then, oh, if I get this grade, then I'll be, every time it was something else, something else, something else. But then it got real serious because I kept trying to find that next thing that would finally, if I just get that, then I'll be happy. And I'm telling you, I have met people of all ages doing the same deal. If I just had that, if I just got that raise, that promotion, if my marriage can just get back on track, if my kids would just get their lives straight, if only then I will be happy. And that was my curse. And I actually spiraled into a deep depression. My family didn't know. I hid it for years from age 14, 15, and 16. I I didn't want to live. I actually, I woke, I lived in beautiful Santa Barbara with this great family. I was a great student and successful, you know, as a teenage kid, people liked me, but I woke up every morning not wanting to be alive. Why? Because I never could have that next thing. It kept making me empty. And then on a summer camp retreat at Hume Lake, Christian camps, the speaker invited all of us to go and simply pray to God by ourselves on a rock. And I was as surprised as anyone God spoke to me. He said, Tim, I know you. I love you. So guess what? You got to start loving yourself because I love you. You don't hate the things that I make because I make good things. And I asked Jesus in that conversation with God that day to be, be number one somehow. And I felt, for me personally, I felt physically, I physically felt the depression leave me. And I say that cautiously because I have family members who suffer from depression their whole lives. And God has not instantly healed them. But I just need to tell you what God did for me. I'm just being a witness. I just can't lie to you. God healed me instantly of a deep depression for whatever reason. And I'm thankful for that. Because he filled me with the joy that hasn't disappeared And it's launched me into this trajectory of wanting to serve God wherever he wants me. I served God in the public school for years as a math teacher. I've served God in many other contexts, but God has me as a pastor, at least for the last 23 years, and I think for the next 23 years, I hope, and that God captured my heart at age 16 at Hume Lake, and it's just never 
been the same because I'm no longer trying to find that next thing to make me happy because guess what? I have the ultimate thing in the name, the person of Jesus Christ. And he wants to do the same with you. Your first assignment is to say yes to Jesus as Lord and to know him and to let his identity be your core identity. So don't miss out on knowing him and knowing him deeply. He knows how to run your life better than you, I promise you. And he will love you with an everlasting love. Say yes to him. You have a second assignment. Your next assignment after knowing Jesus is to serving Jesus. That's your next assignment. If you look at verse 8 again, you know it says, when, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And so we, what we know, in fact, that now Simon, in this text, Luke has called him Simon twice. Now it's Simon Peter, for whatever reason, right? Switch the name. I think it's purposeful, again, because of Luke, the way he's writing this particular passage. Because we know from John chapter 1 and Matthew 16 that Jesus gives Simon the Aramaic name of Cephas, which is Peter in the Greek. And he's being called Simon Peter here, signifying Peter the rock. And the rock, as we know, that Jesus will build his church, his people, not a building, his church, upon Peter the rock. Not just Simon the fisherman who found his whole identity in that, but Peter the rock, his new identity, his new name, because names are important, a a prophetic name of someone that Peter wasn't even yet, (laughs) but Jesus is calling him out to become the person that Jesus knows he's going to be and to start believing it. Your first assignment is to know Jesus. Your second assignment is to serve Jesus. And that's what I had to do. Simon Peter had to say yes. I had to say yes. I had to let go of my small little life, my, my little attempts to make myself happy. I'm telling you, people are still doing it at every age. This thing, you got to let it go and say, God in you, I have everything I need. Lead me, guide me, shape me, change me, send me wherever you like me, Lord. Simon ceased to see himself primarily as a fisherman who makes a living to survive. And his next assignment is to see himself as Peter, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, the rock. If the Lord says I'm the rock, I better start believing it. Because I cannot do the assignment that God has for me unless I believe who he says I am. And you have to start believing it too. People of God planted here in Carmel by the sea to do an amazing work of God for the kingdom, you better start believing it because that's who you are. That's who he says you are, to be on assignment for Jesus. And this Peter, this this flailing person who at Jesus' time of need denied even knowing Jesus, this movement that Peter will begin in the power of the Spirit will take over the Roman Empire all from this insecure fisherman. You know what he did? He simply said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, have your way with me. I don't know if you know this, but your guest preacher last week, Sean Connery, I mean, Richard Gibbons, um, you know he had a death to life experience? I don't think he shared it with you. I don't know if you know the story. He almost died. Back in 2005, he suffered a heart attack. And when the paramedics arrived for Richard Gibbons, He actually had no memory of the events, but he says this, what I do know is this, as I lay dead, 
On September 13th, 2005, my church was praying for its pastor. You know, Jesus says this, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you let go of your life, you will save it. Pastor Gibbons literally lost his life and the power of God brought him back. And he seems to lose that was a significant turning point in his ministry. When you face death, literally face death, and now you have a second chance, you're different. And some of you in here, I know you've had that experience, right? You're different. But you know what? Everyone in here who's a follower of Christ, we all have had that experience, really. I die to myself. I say yes to you, Lord. I am on assignment to know you and to serve you. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. How do you want me to love? How do you want me to serve? You are Lord of my business, Lord of my family, Lord of my retirement, Lord of my bank accounts, Lord of my friendships. Have your way in me. None of us are promised tomorrow. Simon was spiritually dead. I was spiritually dead. And guess what? Your little life is empty without the life of Jesus that brings eternal life. And it begins right now. So again, I leave you with that question. Have you said yes? Maybe it's the first time. But guess what? We can say yes again because sometimes we can turn away and say, yes, Jesus, I want to know the fullness of your life in my little life. I want to stop chasing after the next thing, the next thing, the next affirmation, the next possession, right? The next thing I can acquire and say, you know what? You are enough, Jesus. In you, I'm content. I want to know you, Jesus, and I want you to send me because I want to serve. Jesus saves you, and then he sends you. And if you are going to continue to be a part of this great ministry of Carmel Press. I hope we continue to hear the voice of Jesus saying to us, as we die to ourselves, we will find the fullness of life here on this earth and preparing for the next. I want to wrap up by just taking a look at verse 11 and leave us with this. Verse 11 says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. Um, in Los Angeles, there's this big boat called the Queen Mary. How many of you have ever been to the Queen Mary? Raise your hand. Oh, a good number of you. So it's still there, and it's on permanent display, and uh, Pastor David Platt recounts its history like this, and maybe you already know some of this. David Platt says, well, the Queen Mary was built earlier in the 20th century as a luxury liner, with a whole array of indulgences designed to entice the rich. It could fit up to 3,000 wealthy patrons on it at one time, larger, more massive than even the Titanic. So what's interesting, though, is that for six years during World War II, when the country was in a state of national emergency, they took this same ship and they called upon the ship to help with the transporting of troops. And so the ship was transformed from a luxury liner into a troop transport. I don't know if you knew this. So whereas at first 3,000 people could get on it before, now 15,000 people could get on it during the war. So the whole ship was completely turned upside down to accommodate, to accomplish a mission instead of accommodating pleasures. 
for wealthy people. And so you can see today, if you go visit it, you'll see spots on the tour, if you take a look, and they ha- where they have a design for troop transport. You can see these spots. So this is where the troops slept. This is where the troops ate. And then you can look at another room, and you can see that this is where all the luxury stuff was. This is where all the gourmet stuff was right here. And so David Plathen says, I want to ask you a question. Which image better describes Christianity in our context today in our lives and in this church? Let's consider the costs for a moment. What would happen if we, as a church, looked square in the face of 3,000 children today around the world who are dying, dying from either hunger or preventable diseases? Or what have we thought about the thousands in the Monterey Peninsula who don't know the love of Jesus yet? What if we just, as a church, let that soak in? And we would say to ourselves, you know, we're not going to use this ship anymore our ship, which our lives, our families, maybe even our church, our building, to simply indulge our pleasures. And instead, what we're going to do is we're going to offer up everything, our careers, our buildings, our whole selves, for the sake of accomplishing the mission to spread the love of Jesus in Carme, in the Monterey Peninsula, and around the world. What if we saw ourselves as we've died to ourselves, that we might grasp a bit of the glorious life of serving Jesus. Verse 11 says, they left everything and they followed him. And I simply want to invite you as I pray for myself, Jesus, give me the courage to keep following you today. Would you join me in a prayer? Lord Jesus, I pray that if there are any words today that were not of you, that you would just erase it from people's minds. But if there was anything that you wanted to hear, that your Holy Spirit would sear it in our hearts, sear it in our minds, that we might be people who know you, Jesus, and we might be people who serve you. And in serving you and losing our life to find out that we would experience the joy of the fullness of life, of living fully for you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're so patient with us. You're so patient with me. You're patient with every single person in this room. You're patient with this whole peninsula that needs to know your name. Lord Jesus, use us that we might share your love to a world in need. For this next season, Lord, at Carmel Press, we want to offer our whole lives to you. In your name we pray, Jesus. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.